0: Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from experienced medical device and med tech experts through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson.
1: Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome to another edition of MedSider Radio, brought to you from the WCG studios here in Minneapolis. If you're new to the program, MedSider Radio is where we learn from med tech and other healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews just a few quick messages before we get started. First, I send out a free email newsletter about once per month highlighting my favorite medtech and or healthcare related stories, the ones that I personally get a lot of value from. I don't send the newsletter out very often, but when I do, I really try to make sure it's valuable. So if you're interested, head on over to medsider.com and enter your email address. As a bonus, I'll send you a free ebook on the strategies I personally use to make connections at conferences. I think you'll find the ebook pretty useful. And while you're online, head on over to iTunes and rate our show. A five-star rating would really help us out. Second, for those of you that subscribe to the email newsletter, you're probably aware of this, but I recently joined the MedTech practice of WCG, a fully integrated marketing agency. So if you're looking for some marketing help, there's a few reasons you should consider our firm. First, we're entirely focused on MedTech. Second, our wheelhouse is analytics, which drives all of our recommendations. And third, we're fully integrated, which means you don't have to source capabilities from another shop. So if you have a project in mind that you'd like to discuss, hit me up at, at medsider.com. Again, that's medsider.com. And lastly, speaking of marketing, to generate more awareness for some of these interviews, I've recently started using a pretty unique system called Panoptic Stacking from the team over at ReachFire Digital. I know, Panoptic Stacking, it sounds sophisticated, right? Well, to be honest, it sort of is, but let me try and explain. First, they validated some of my messaging in real time and developed an automated customer pathway based on my audience here at Medsider. Then utilizing something called echo marketing, they're using behavioral targeting to move that same audience through a customized online journey. After executing my personalized Panoptic stack, I'm already seeing a really nice impact, and I'll share some of those results in future episodes. So if you're interested in learning more about the system, the team over at ReachFire Digital has agreed to build a custom Panoptic stacking blueprint for the first 15 MedSider listeners that respond to this message. They normally charge 2,500 bucks to build one blueprint, but because they're big fans of Medsider, they're giving it to our first 15 listeners for free. So go to reachfiredigital.com forward slash MedCider. Again, that's reachfiredigital.com forward slash MedCider. Grab that blueprint. Okay, on to the episode. Dr. John Simpson. Even if you're a medical device newbie, you've probably heard of him. He's credited with inventing and commercializing the first over-the-wire balloon catheter used for percutaneous transluminal coronary angioplasty, or PTCA. The single idea created the field of interventional cardiology as we know it today. Over the course of his renowned medtech career, Dr. Simpson has founded and successfully exited companies like ACS and DVI, which were both acquired by Eli Lilly, CVIS, which was acquired by Boston Scientific, Perclose, which sold to Abbott, Lumind, which was acquired by Cortis, and Fox Hollow which was acquired by EB3 and is now part of Medtronic. I mean, it's borderline exhausting just thinking about all of these companies, let alone starting them. Plain and simple, Dr. Simpson is a legend in the space, and he isn't done yet. He currently serves as the executive chairman of Avenger, where he and his team are developing a portfolio of unique cardiovascular products aimed at solving the challenging space of peripheral artery disease. In this interview with Dr. Simpson, we learn about the key lessons he's learned throughout his historic medtech career and why he's still fired up about medical device innovation after all these years. More specifically, here are the things we're going to dive into. How Dr. Simpson's infamous encounter with Jack nicholas yes, that Jack nicholas led to his firing as a bank teller, which eventually forced him down a new career path. The reasons why Dr. Simpson decided to pursue Andreas Grunzig's balloon catheter technologies and how it led to his own inventions. As a medtech entrepreneur why knowing your strengths and limitations is key to making a difference in the lives of others. We're going to learn more about Dr. Simpson's approach to building a team and how surrounding himself with people that have a broad group of skill sets has enabled his success throughout the years, the key challenges Dr. Simpson has faced with his new company, Avenger, and the important lessons he's learned, the advice Dr. Simpson would give to his 30-year-old self, and how endurance through criticism is what ultimately leads to revolution within the medical field. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hello, Dr. Simpson, thanks for joining the uh, the Medsider program. Really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to engage uh, in a conversation.
0: Well, thank you. thank for this opportunity. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right
1: great. let's go ahead and get started. When looking at your you know your vast and storied med tech career, most people would assume, uh, and rightfully so, that you've consistently had these sort of top of the mountain experiences, you know time and time again. When looking at all of your successful medtech exits, as well as just you know all of the products, the interventional products that you've developed over the years, but it hasn't always been easy. And even you know dating back to when you initially applied for medical school and didn't get in. So let's start there. Can you take us back to the the late '60s and, and your infamous encounter with Jack Nicholas when you were working as a, a bank teller in Columbus, Ohio?
0: Yeah. So thank you for that opportunity. This predates <laughs> my getting ready to go to medical school. Of course, I had just graduated from Ohio State University, and I was looking for a job. I was recently married and had a new baby on the way and so I had no job and so I applied for the a bank teller training job at, at the Upper Arlington National Bank for Ohio State or in Columbus, Ohio. And I was assigned to tell number four and where the Jack Nicklaus's secretary in 1967 came to tell number four to deposit his winnings from the U.S. Open. And the winnings were $30,000, uh, if you can imagine that. You can look it up on the internet. That's a, I, I've looked it up. <laughs> I can't believe it. But still, $30,000 or more money than I could ever have imagined. And the new teller in training, I took the check all around the Ohio National Bank, showed it to everyone until I got to the branch manager, and he took a dim view of me doing that. Said I had to get back to the teller cage, which I did. I put the check in the wrong stack. No computers, and they couldn't find it for about a month my pillar cage every morning was out of the balance, $30,000, which was a little bit more than was acceptable. <laughs> Eventually, the manager came to me and he said, you know, John, I have to be honest with you. I don't think you're cut out to be a banker. So I effectively got fired over leasing this check. And then shortly, well, not shortly, then 30 years later, I got a, a letter from Jack Nicholas. that he had heard this story. It was unfortunate. He said that, you know. My interaction with golf had had led to a big change in my career path, but he hoped it had worked out okay.
1: <laughs> Such a great story on a, on a number of different fronts, but I thought we'd start out with that, that sort of the, that funny anecdote because I think it, tell, it tells a lot about about you and your your, your background. But let's use that as to, to, to transition to kind of you, you, just your general interest in cardiology. Because correct me if I'm wrong, before going to, to medical school at Duke, you, you pursued a, a PhD in immunology and then went on to, to pursue medical school at, at Duke and then went to train at, at Stanford in, in, in cardiology. So, you know, treating cardiovascular disease, especially peripheral vascular disease, seems like it's always been sort of consistent theme throughout, you know, all of the the medical device companies you've started and really throughout your, you know, your career in, in medicine and healthcare. Tell us a little bit more about this disease and, and maybe why you've always been, been interested in it.
0: Well, I mean, vascular disease, of course, is the plague of our society and it results in an enormous amount of mortality and morbidity. And so I've always been interested in it. I trained at Stanford as a cardiologist and and all of my early work was was treating coronary artery disease, but over time gravitated a little bit more toward peripheral artery disease. I basically just evaluated some new technologies and we always evaluate them first in the peripheral vascular space before we take them into the coronary space. Then through that really developed, I mean, this is fascinating observation I would say that, you know, I can fix somebody's heart vessels and, you know, they say, Okay, great, I don't have just being, when I exercise anymore, doc, do you want to go have a beer? You save somebody from amputation and it's totally different. It is like, you know, they expect to lose their leg and then they do not. And it's, it's it creates a, almost like a more rewarding experience, a culturally more rewarding experience, I would say, for the physician, uh, for the hospital, you know, and for the nursing staff. You hear stories all the time about the nurses that are, are like emotionally overwhelmed uh, along with patients, you know, when they weren't able to avoid amputation. I think that's the thing that has created the allure of treating patients with PAD, but also PAD is grossly underdiagnosed uh, in this country. And I think uh, I look at it as an opportunity to make uh, something that's profoundly impactful to the mal um, so let's say, of patient care accessibility in the United States. And if you're African American and you show up uh, in the emergency room with a narrowed blood vessel in your leg, there's two and a half times the chance that you'll have your leg amputated as if you're white. And this, there has to be, it's not all racism, but there has to be some racial component to that. There's some socioeconomic mm-hmm. drivers uh, to that as well, but it's just it's this is so you know disturbing in a way. If you will, I just have always felt like it's a very very exciting, challenging, and really really important area to work in, and I think it has not really received the attention uh, that it should have. And most of the attention goes to the coronary arteries, and they're, they're very important too because you can definitely you know there's a lot more mortality associated with the coronary artery closing off than a leg vessel. But anyway, that, that's kind of my overview of PAD and and why I think it's so appealing?
1: Sure, no, I completely relate. I remember this is back during my days at uh, at Covidian before Medtron- Medtronic acquired Covidian. But I, I do recall a presentation from an interventional cardiologist, and his name his name is escaping me right now. But uh, he was, I think, at the University of Oklahoma. But he was comparing. He he made that exact analogy that that you just referenced, and he was comparing his treatment of peripheral arterial disease to coronary arterial disease. And he said, you know, oftentimes after he treats, you know, someone's left main exactly. and goes and sees them the next day, they don't. You know, they they don't really necessarily feel any any different, you know. Or there's not really much of a response. But when he when he saves someone's limb, you know, and treats them yeah. from from a peripheral vascular standpoint, you know, they'll, they'll oftentimes give him a hug, you know, the next day. So he right. he said it's it's just that much more rewarding. So interesting that you Absolutely. mentioned that as a component of kind of why why you've always been interested in vascular disease, especially peripheral vascular disease. So so cool. So let's let's uh, let's transition to your time at, at Stanford, and and this sort of goes back to to before you know you you initially started developing angioplasty balloons, but in doing some research in preparation for this interview, it looked like you were almost ready to head to Jackson, Mississippi for additional training in cardiology until you sat in on a, on a presentation from Andreas Grunzig. So can you kind of take us back in time and, and, and tell us a little bit more about that experience and how that sort of trained, changed your career path at that point in time? Yeah, sure. I, I think maybe a better way to say it is
0: that I was a cardiology fellow at Stanford at the time. And you're always, okay. as a fellow, you're always looking for a free meal, maybe a free sandwich. And I saw that there was a, a noon lecture and you get a free sandwich for this guy named Andres Grunczyk. He was going to talk about putting a balloon into patient's coronary arteries, blowing it up, and they were going to get better. And I thought, right, I don't want to do that for a minute, but I need a free sandwich. So I did that. I went to to the noon conference. Andres was there, and he gave this gave the talk about you know balloon angioplasty and to treat human coronary artery disease. And I thought, wow, I don't know, that seems a little bit crazy. And I told my wife that same day, I said, you know, I don't know, he's either going to revolutionize the treatment of vascular disease or he's going to go to jail. And I sort of favored jail uh, as kind of the most likely uh, <laughs> uh, end point for Andres. But then I had a complication at Stanford. though, six months later, I didn't think too much more about Andres's technology for probably another say four or five months, maybe I had a complication. And I thought, gee, if I had that little balloon catheter that Andres was talking about, maybe I could have pushed up this stuff that was in the artery that I had dislodged. Maybe I could push it back um, into the wall and and ultimately convinced the chairman of the department, the chief of cardiology at Stanford, Don Harrison, to give me some time off to go to Zurich and to see Andres use some of his early balloon catheters. And I just thought it was just so magical. Came back, I ordered the catheters. I couldn't get them, the balloons exactly. So uh ended up uh, starting to work with Ned Robert another cardiology fellow at Stanford and we worked together to develop and then an over the wire balloon angioplasty system we evaluated in animals first and then eventually it was it was good it was safe so that we could use it in patients and that was only out of desperation it wasn't like I had any uh, any previous experience developing balloon catheters or you know even having a very good thoughts about how to do it, but I thought I could surround myself with people that didn't know how to do it and went to working together You know we could figure it out and, and we could end up making something good
1: Got it And I, I definitely want to get to that that last that last part of your your answer there in regards to surrounding yourself with with, with People that sort of allowed you to experience a uh, you know the many successes that you've had over the course of your career. But just as, as a follow-up question to that experience with, you know, with sitting in on that presentation, you know, from Andreas Grunzig, you know, as I, as I you know, as I heard about that, I read about that story and kind of thought about it. I, I think it'd be easy for most people to look at your career and think, you know, yes, Dr. Simpson, he's a, he's an entrepreneur. Of, of course, that makes sense. He saw a need in the marketplace and, and developed a, a balloon catheter. But, you know... You know if, if I if I try to or I try to attempt to put myself in your shoes at that time I mean you're still a fellow I got to think that this technology that Andreas Grutzner was was presenting is you know you, you kind of mentioned it a lot of people were pretty skeptical about it but you you went ahead and sort of like dove dove that much deeper when most people probably would have just sort of moved on and thought maybe it was interesting and pursued it you know their, their more, more traditional career path but you sort of went deep and, and began to sort of toy around with the tech- technology what do you attribute that to it just you know do you are you, do you consider yourself sort of a natural tinkerer or just naturally curious in and what caused you to sort of take those initial steps to, you know, to go a little bit deeper with from a technology standpoint?
0: <laughs> well, probably my brain is all messed up. So that's <laughs> the best, uh, best explanation for it. I, You know, I've had this question posed to me before. I did, really did not have a very good answer. Somehow, to me, it seems like if you're presented with a problem, I don't know, it just seems sort of natural to try to seek out a solution that's better than what we're currently doing. I don't know if that's comes from some of my graduate school training, getting a PhD, or if it it's a part of my basic nature. I just really wish I could answer the question. And I'm unfortunately, I think my answers are always a little bit weak. But there is something about my nature that is like a persevering type personality, if you will. And if, Mm -hmm. if I do find a problem, particularly if I can see a way to what I think, maybe it's just my own ego, what I think could be a really, really good solution. And what if we could do this? Wouldn't that be helpful? Then I tend to kind of focus on that. And then what if we could do this? I usually, I work on just trying to find a way to do it. And that's really sort of the thing that probably separates me from some of the, some of the other physician entrepreneurs, I would say. I just keep just hanging in there until we, we figure it out.
1: I certainly wouldn't expect you to have sort of a, you know, the, the, the million dollar answer to that question. But I, I I do think it's interesting to hear, kind of get your take on on that initial start i guess in the kind of towards the, the, the your, your entrepreneurial side of your of your med tech career but on that note let's let's kind of transition to some of your your business accomplishes accomplishments over the over the years and i definitely want to get to to Avenger you know the company that you founded in the, kind of the mid to late 2000s and and where you're at now but before we go there I sort of want to set the stage for the audience that's listening that may uh, that, that may be loosely familiar with your work you know and i would encourage anyone just to google <laughs> google dr. John Simpson you'll find a laundry list of different you know of accomplishments and successes along the way but just to Kind of quickly set the stage. I'll kind of run through some of these companies, and then you can kind of, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on on some of your earlier earlier med tech exits. But I do think uh, they're interesting to note, nonetheless. So, you know, Advanced Cardio- Cardiovascular Systems or ACS, as most people kind of refer to it now, that was your first company that you started back in I think the late '70s, which you eventually sold to, to e- Eli Lilly in 1981 or early '80s.
0: That's right. That's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. correct. Yeah.
1: Something like that. Uh, the numbers may uh, may run together a little bit, but then DVI or devices for vascular intervention—that was a company where you initially you know, that that sort of like started this this interest in atherectomy, and you were developing atherectomy devices or devices to remove you know plaque out of someone's blood vessels. Again, you sold that company to Eli Lilly in ninety, and that that eventually formed sort of the foundation for for guidance, which which Abbott eventually you know acquired in kind of the mid two thousands, but. DVI was to Eli Lilly again in, in kind of the, the 90s, right right around 1990 or so.
0: I think so. I think those was right numbers. No, but the important uh, thing to observe there is that when we formed Advanced Cardiovascular Systems ACS, we were able to put these little balloons in arteries, this all treated coronary artery disease, and we'd inflate the balloon. And sometimes it would almost be like a miracle occurs and now then the problem is fixed. But sometimes it would not be a miracle the problem is actually made worse. And when the problem was made worse, this was part of stinting. It kept going through my mind. Instead of trying to just push it around with the balloon, what if we could actually clean it out? And so it was a sort of natural transition for me, mostly because of the horrific outcomes when they did not work well. When the spice did not work well, it was, it really did not work well. And so we definitely wanted it to something to be better. And that's sort of the transition to go to something that cleans it out. Cleans out the arteries.
1: I guess that kinda of speaks to what you were what you mentioned earlier you saw you saw a problem, you saw a need. You said I don't wanna just simply inflate this balloon and squish the disease up against the dust. Well, I wanna to try to remove that. Why not try to get it out of there and I think that kind of points to what you, what you mentioned earlier and just trying to, trying to solve a problem that you, that you see, you know, that, that's very clear to you and maybe may not be as clear to everyone else. On that note, with DVI, I mean, you, you have obviously had a really good successful exit with Fox Hollow and then now you're producing some really compelling devices with, with Avenger related to atherectomy. Why don't you think atherectomy took off with DVI, uh, back in the, the mid to late 80s?
0: Well, it was, it was very difficult to use. The devices were, were long and, the housings, uh, the way they were configured. Once you got them in place, I mean, they worked beautifully. But getting them in place was very, very difficult. And also, it was com- you know started competing with you know simpler and easier to use technology with balloons, and then eventually competing with stents. And I think just the ease of use was uh, kind of the biggest problem for DVI. And and I think that was the concept. Though, is, and we still see a lot of patients. They're like 20 years out from being treated with the DVI device, and it already looks really well. It's rare that I will go to oh. a hospital and they do say, "Oh, I have a patient." You know, I have a patient twenty years out from the DVI, and, it, and the and the artery still looks spectacular. So when it worked well, it worked really well. A little bit like balloon angioplasty, but yeah. it was also very difficult to use.
1: The concept was was there. Maybe it was just the device itself needs some iteration, which we'll get to with Avenger and kind of what your you know what you're the portfolio that you're building out to, to treat peripheral vascular disease here here in a minute. Uh, kind of going through the other the other uh, companies that you helped to form cardiovascular imaging systems. Again, I think that that's unique because we'll get to it here in a second with your work at Avenger. That was with Dr. Paul Yock. If I'm if I'm pronouncing his last name, i never known how to pronounce his last name. I've seen it so many times, but I probably probably never never asked anyone that actually actually knew. But is that how you pronounce his his last name? Yeah. Yes, that yep, is correct. Yeah. Got it. And then, and then, uh, let's see here. Perclose, which is a ephemeral arterial closure device, you sold that to Abbott in '98. And then Lumen, which was acquired by Cortis in the in the mid '90s. And then in the late '90s, kind of leading up to, to where you are now, in the late '90s, you helped start Fox Hollow. which again focused on atherectomy, as I mentioned before, and that was acquired by EV3 in 2007. And then, as most people know, Covidian acquired EV3, and then Medtronic acquired Covidian. A lot of M and A lot of M&A activity over the years, but now, now in the bag of Big Blue at Medtronic. And then, and then, lastly, that kind of that leads us sort of, sort of to today, which, which Avenger, which is the company you're at now, which you formed, I think, in uh, kind of mid to mid to late 2000s, if, if my research is right here. Which I see as almost a culmination of all of these products over the years. You know, from crossing devices to etherectomy devices to Imaging devices—it's almost like uh, you—you know everything that you've learned along the way. You've been able to make iterations to, and now developing an Avenger.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably the advantage that I've had. This is one of the advantages of being a little bit older, unfortunately. <laughs> or, uh, than I, but you have seen a lot of a lot of things happen, right? And some of you want to—you also—you almost always want to make it better. But in the very early days of angioplasty, I thought. You know, we needed something to clean the vessels out. It started DVI and that's, that's something that cleaned the vessels out. But you could not always aim it in the direction that you wanted to based just on the X-ray images. So we talked about adding imaging uh, to this and Paul Yacht. Part of the motivation we had with Paul Yacht in cardiovascular imaging systems was to add intravascular ultrasound to the imaging catheters, which we tried to do, but it just turned out that it was too hard to do at that time because the technology just did not exist. Along the way, we were, in that era, also, we're putting in some early stents, and we ended up with bleeding problems in the groin because these patients were coagulated. And so we started per close to close these holes for arterial access sites. And that was really, you know, it's a little bit of a deviation, let's say, from the theme that I've used mostly, which is to treat nerve arteries. But eventually, that sort of back on the treat the narrow artery track with Fox Hollow, and really a great device, but limited because, once again, back to the DVI uh, era, you cannot really rely as much as you would like to on the x-ray images to tell you where to cut. And Paul Yacht pointed this out to us really in the early days. He said you would like for these deposits to be really concentric, and they're not. And by intravascular ultrasound, you can see that they're not concentric. You can see which side to aim your devices out. And so Fox Hollow had that limitation in that although the device had worked well, sometimes you would cut too deeply into the artery wall. And when that happened, then you had the risk of some extravasation locally of, of contrast, or you would have higher recurrence rates. And it led to back to the theme of you know if we could see we know that removing the plaque is really really favorable. if you could remove just the right amount and the right spot that you wanted to then that that could be the answer and that I think that's what Avenger has embarked on it developed a lot of technology around imaging using optical coherence tomography as the imaging system which is a laser based system that allows us to look at the artery while we're working on it. And it really creates a remarkable safety profile as well as efficacy profile, saves physicians from uh, excess radiation. So I think that is, in a way, you say the culmination of all the efforts. Maybe so, but culmination just sounds like the end. So I don't know if I really like that (laughs) term, but But it is what it is, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I, I couldn't. That's the word I came up with, I guess, but certainly don't want to don't want to depict that you're at you're at the end of you know putting a bookend on, on this particular chapter anyway. But but in terms of devices themselves, it, it certainly seems like you know your career has kind of led up to this point where you're you're iterate you've been able to iterate on a number of different devices that you develop over the years, and you know here we are with 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 Avenger. I want to ask you a few more questions with respect to Avenger, but just kind of going back to you know all of these companies that you've started in the past, you've always been able to surround yourself with you know with with a great team, and you even pointed it out earlier in the conversation. You know people like Ray Williams, and Bob Reese at ACS, Alan Will at DVI, Hank Plain at Proclose. I'm just mentioning a few names that most people would probably be familiar with, but you know, the list certainly goes on and on. So, you know, for those for those people that are listening to this right now that that would consider themselves, you know, med tech entrepreneurs, whether they're physicians themselves or just entrepreneurial in nature, what's been your approach to, to building out that team? Has it always come naturally or has it been by intention that you've sort of sought after people that you know bring different skill sets to the table? Talk to us a little bit about, about that.
0: Yeah, I would say it, there's a sort of a harsh reality is that, you know, all of the people that you've just identified were introduced to me by someone else. And they said, you know, you ought to talk to, and Ray Williams is a best example. Oh, no, actually, that's not quite true. I met Ray Williams when he was a parking lot attendant for the Circus Club. What's it called? They have the horse riding show at the Circus Club. And he was parking cars and his wife was on the committee that ran the show. And he said to me, that he had heard about what we were doing with Blue Ninja Plasty. He was interested in it and why don't I give him a call? And he said that he does a lot of venture capital work and I had never heard of the term venture capital before, so I had no idea what that was. And so I never called it. And then finally one day he called me back and he said, gosh, you know, I thought maybe you would have called me back, you know, and you know, I had a lot of people looking for funding. But me it didn't sound like you needed it. And I said, Well we always need it, but I don't know I don't know how to do it. And he did. And he said, Well I'll do it. And he did. And then he was the one who hired Bob Reese at ACS. I mean, he's just a fascinating litany of wonderful people that I've been involved with. And I don't have any idea how it all kind of took place. A lot of times just by being introduced to somebody who knows somebody, I don't think I've ever done it like a, you know, like a real search and Mm -hmm. found somebody that I wanted for a position. It's usually I'll ask a friend, do you know anybody who could do this? And they say, oh, yeah, why don't you ask so-and-so? That's been, I think, a better system for me. But a lot of people rely heavily on searches to find. I do that through my friends. And now then are mm-hmm. my acquaintances. So now that I have enough friends and acquaintances that I I can cheat a little bit.
1: <laughs> Certainly, your network's broad enough, and you're you've, you've had enough enough accomplishments that along the way that I'm I'm sure people would be more than willing to to try to you know be a part of your team or at least help help someone they knew that you know to be a part of your team. But you know, let, let's go back to you know where you're at with Avenger. I know I know you mentioned a little bit about kind of the the, the broad peripheral vascular portfolio that you're you're building out now and some of the unique aspects of your your products, but. You know, I I think a lot of people would have looked at maybe you know after exiting having a nice exit with Fox Hollow to to EV three, you know considering all of the previous accomplishments that you've had, they would have said you know Dr Simpson, it's easy for you to go right off into the into the sunset, you know, and most people would you know clap their hands and give you an ovation and and say wow what a what an amazing career, but but you haven't stopped, you know, you you went on to to form you know Avenger and and for sort of a Trying to find a better word for culmination. <laughs> it's sort of a you know the, the next the next step you know and sort of, sort of a lot a lot of these different products. You know what, what do you you know what what's the you know is there something that kind of that causes you to keep going and, and, and you know and starting these companies. You know what what's the what's the sort of the is there a burning challenge that you're you know you're trying to solve for you know an avenger that you know keeps you keeps you going.
0: Well, I think I do have the additional advantage of being able to see the patients and see the misery that these different diseases cause. I'm a combination of an entrepreneur and a physician, and I don't think I've ever lost sight of that and how miserable these diseases are. You know, if there's an opportunity to, to build out a system that would would reduce this misery and the suffering, and I mean, when you've seen patients that are about to lose their leg or, or the patient in the acute MI setting in the coronary care unit, you just want to help them. It's very motivating. It's not like you're reading about and you know, some kind of a science book. I mean this is real. And if you work hard at it, you know, and then you can you can make a difference. And that's always the way I have sort of approached it to make a difference for the patient. I'm not my strength is not business. I, I definitely surround myself with people that are really good at it, but you know, that's not my strength. My strength is more clinical. And that maybe a tinker is the right term. I just I do sort of like to I don't know, figure this out. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. not making any sense at all now. Probably.
1: No, no, I think it it, to me from my perspective, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you sort of know not only your interests, but it seems like you know, you know, where your limitations are as well, and you know when to, you know, ask the question of like someone that can, you know, serve in this capacity or can can, can help me meet, meet this certain need. I think that's a, that's, that's a good lesson learned for any medtech med entrepreneur out there is, you know, kind of, you know, be cognizant and, and be, you know, acutely aware of sort of where your wheelhouse is and where maybe your limitations are and, you know, ask, you know, don't be afraid to kind of ask for help where, where it makes sense.
0: That is one of the things that I feel like that I am pretty good at is knowing I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm really bad at. <laughs> Unfortunately, the <laughs> lesson what I'm really bad at is pretty long. What I'm good at is actually pretty short. But I've told a, a lot of people that if, if you let me get inside a blood vessel, then I've got you. you It's you, going yeah. to be really hard for you to for you to beat me inside a blood vessel. You give me a P and L or a balance sheet or something like that, and you have me. I I will be clueless. Yeah. <laughs> that. So that's why I have to hire somebody else to do that.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a really good lesson. I think it's one that sounds simple. When people describe it, but it's somewhat, you know, when you're in the trenches knee deep and in, in the work, sometimes it's hard to let go, you know, and, and not acutely aware of like when to hand something off. So obviously, maybe it comes a little bit more naturally for you, but maybe, maybe more challenging for other, other folks. You know, the other thing that I thought was interesting that you pointed out there too is just, and granted, you're, you're, you're a physician, you're a cardiologist, but also just. That natural bias towards the patient, and I think that's that's one of the unique benefits of, uh, or advantages of being involved in, in med tech or healthcare is that unlike other tech companies there in Northern California, you know, Facebook, Apple, Google, et cetera. Not that those aren't great companies, but you know, there's always sort of a the, the benefit to being involved in, in med tech is that you know you're you're working on devices that are being used in you know on a daily basis to to treat patients, and so I think that's always it's always kind of an, a nice aspect, especially when you can when you appreciate it. And it sounds like obviously you have over the years.
0: It's hard to avoid. And if you know that – and I, I do know a lot of people, a lot of engineers that I that can, you know, make these things better, and I rely on them to do that. I'm a little bit like a quarterback on a football team where the team is really great, but it's only because of the linemen and the receivers <laughs> and the running backs. It's not because of the quarterback. And yet the quarterback gets way, way, way too much credit. I sort of feel like I'm in that situation. I get the credit for all the work the engineers do, the assemblers. I mean, the assemblers are putting together stuff that's like – it's miraculous. And yet, I get the credit, which is uh, totally wrong.
1: <laughs> I think you're being humble, but I think that most people would appreciate that comment, though, for sure. And to your point, it definitely, without a doubt, it takes a, a strong team and a, and a strong quarterback or leader to kind of move move the team forward. You know, kind of kind of going back to you know what your experiences over the past eight nine years or so with Avenger, you've certainly been able to take a lot of experiences with you along along the way. So you know, th- thinking about avenger and and what you've experienced over the past you know the past you know three was three decades or so you know are, are there certain challenges that have that have come up at avenger that that have surprised you and then maybe on a similar note or in a similar vein as you've approached some of those challenges are there some key lessons that have sort of helped you you know key lessons from the past that that have that sort of helped you during during some of those more challenging times at avenger
0: well, I, I will say that the, the challenges that have surprised me with Avenger, a little bit different than some of the previous challenges is the difficulty in this modern era of raising capital. Mm. We could always raise capital, seems like a little bit more easily. Maybe he could go back to Ray Williams and have him put us, uh, to start that over for us again, but he was always <laughs> really good at it. I feel like that in, in the current era, and I don't think I'm speaking just for Avenger. I think across the board, people are investing a lot less now in uh, innovation. At the early stage, there was a time when you know, everybody wanted to invest in that. But that's no longer the case. They want to invest in a large revenue stream. They like to invest in profitable companies. I've never had one of those. I don't know what that would be like, but I would say <laughs> that it's just different. And some of this stuff would be, to me, totally unanticipated. That being said, some of the physicians are under such enormous pressure from their hospitals to do cases to you know just do patients have increased patient volume. But they may not be so interested in learning a really new and innovative technology that probably can give better results, but it's going to take more time. And there would be resistance to that. I see some of that right now. And I find that a little bit shocking, never occurred, you know, maybe when I was a little bit younger and and, and practicing medicine daily. I just, I I can't see that approach, but it is, it does exist. Uh, I think the overall lesson is still is is about the same. I mean, regulatory affairs are still hard, but just persevere. I mean, you know, the FDA, you you can eventually, you have to just provide the right data. Once you do, then eventually everything will be approved. Now, just perseverance is really important in raising money because everybody you talk to almost always will say no. (laughs) You have to kind of keep working at it. And that's that's, that's the way I would probably characterize it. I don't think I mean, Amateur is trying to do something that's never been done before and Amateur is actually doing something that's never been done before. It's mounted a, almost like a camera on a cutter and you can see what you're cutting without an x-ray. Mm-hmm. Never been done before. That means that it's hard. and That also means that suspicious and people would say, oh, you know, that's never going to work. You know, Simpsons tried to do that forever and that's just not going to happen. So I think, you know, you have these prejudices and biases that are in the market. The physician community and the investment community, you know, just have to overcome them. And, you know, we did a lot of that with the early days of blend when the surgical community, this was an uproar. So I was a cardiology fellow at Stanford. You know, the faculty at Stanford would come by that the way they started that morning off every day to make them really happy was to come by and laugh at what I was doing. <laughs> and so it was eventually, sometimes that's motivating, right? You know, yeah. what's this? I'm going to show them. So anyway, I'm digressing from your original question, but. Perseverance is the key, and raising capital is the current impediment, in my mind. Sure.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's it. No, I really appreciate that answer, and I and I think, I mean, some, sometimes it's very easy to underappreciate something like that. And you know, I liked, I liked how you put it. You know, just know that it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I mean, like as an example, you, just like you mentioned, you know, with with Avenger, you're, you're you're trying to put a camera on a therapeutic device, you know, so that, that allows physicians to, to to see what they're treating and also treat at the same time. So I mean, something like that. That's you know, a, a, definitely an engineering feat. But yet you're still able to do it in today's climate. You know, when so many people would lament and, and complain about you know how hard it is to raise raise money and I, I like your approach. On just know that it's going to be difficult, and know that there's going to be times that you're going to have to, you know, per, persevere through those challenges. That's exactly. a great anecdote, and and something that I think a lot of us need to hear again and again.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think that's the case. it's it's about how yeah. hard are you are you willing to work, and how committed are are you to the project?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Easy to understand, but yet yet hard to sort of implement and execute on for sure, but on that note, before we kind of wrap up with the 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 last three rapid fire questions, anything else that you think that that would be good for the for the audience to know, whether that's you know about med tech entrepreneurship in general about cardiovascular disease or you know what you're doing at, at Avenger, anything else that you think is 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 worth sharing?
0: I think we've covered it in good detail. I would like to add that anything that anybody who's listening can do to increase the awareness about how serious artery disease is. And how important it is to get an early diagnosis and treatment, almost like cancer, if you will. If there's anyone out there that can can help do that, then that would be that would be wonderful. It's a huge problem.
1: Sure, definitely can appreciate that. And, you know, it's it's one of those mo- most people you know, fairly easily understand coronary arterial disease. You know, because you understand, you know, when people think of stents or something like that, they think of you know stents in, stents in your heart. But people are 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 pretty unfamiliar with you know peripheral arterial disease because. You know, it's not okay. something necessarily that, you know, you're going to die from immediately, but at the same time, it's it's severely underdiagnosed, as you mentioned before. So very good. So let's, let's, uh, let's quickly kind of transition to the last three rapid fire questions, the rapid fire just in, in in nature from a question standpoint, but don't feel, don't feel like you have to be, you know, rapid fire answers. You can feel free to expand if you expand a little bit if you want. But the first one is what's your, your favorite business book?
0: Well, I'm not, see, I'm not sure you recall. I think it's a business book. So Malcolm Gladwell's mm-hmm. Outliers it talks a lot about how it takes 10,000 hours to be good at anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably an understatement, unfortunately, for Malcolm. I think it takes more than 10,000 hours. <laughs> but I think that that's, oh, it's just a really cool book. And to me, it just it talks a lot about it. And I think probably it is. The theme there is perseverance, which maybe just fits my basic nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's see. Here. The second question is, is there a business leader that you're you're either following right now or maybe one that's inspired you in the past that you sort of naturally gravitated towards?
0: Well, for sure. I mean, you may not consider him a business leader. He, To me, he is a business leader. But he's also a really good surgeon. His name is Tom Fogarty. And Tom, without Tom, I would have never been able to do anything because he was the surgeon that supported me at Sequoia Hospital locally and just absolutely amazing guy. I mean, grew up in a huge family the Appalachian Mountains and invented the motor scooter Plus. I don't know. He he is the ultimate inventor, and I think I am not. I'm the kind of the worker bee that just keeps plugging away until we get it right. He has a different approach, and I think Tom Fogerty is just a huge uh, was a huge factor in my life. And you know, without and we had to be willing to stand by and bail me out of trouble. Uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, Tom was <laughs> called on a lot to bail me out of trouble. So, but I, I admire Tom because you know he's built you know certainly more. A lot of businesses and just it's done some really, really magical stuff. And I think he's just a huge, a huge factor in in driving the way vascular disease is not not only uh, treated, but also diagnosed.
1: Yeah, I it's funny. I remember the first time I met uh, Doctor Fogarty is this was when I was at at Kavidian again, and I think I was at a medical meeting of some sort. I can't remember which medical meeting it was, but we were displaying the the trellis device. I'm not sure if you remember that that device for yeah for DVT well, or D- yeah yeah exactly. But uh, I remember. I think it was at one of the we were showcasing the device at the booth, and and sure enough, he he was there, and he walked up and uh, sort of introduced himself as the inventor of the device. And I think a lot of the people around me were you know thought he was joking, but I was like, no no, he really he really did invent this device. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of funny anecdote. It probably speaks to his personality, but very cool. And lastly, uh, we'll kind of wrap it up here. But you know, when thinking about your, you know, your med tech career, tons of accomplishments. Uh, obviously, a lot of challenges the way, but you've really pushed through and, and had a lot of a lot of really great accomplishments. Is there one piece of advice that that you tell your 30 year old self if we uh, had the opportunity to sort of rewind the clock?
0: <laughs> My 30 year old self, that would be yeah, uh, good. <laughs> <because, laughs> you know, I don't know that it's anything different than that we've sort of already stated. I mean, I think that you have to be willing to to endure a lot and then you have to be willing to persevere and be willing to endure is sometimes the most difficult part and I sometimes think about the pathologist at Duke University who is kind of a philosopher too who wrote in some article that you know, anytime you develop something that is incrementally an, an improvement in medicine, there's a huge applause and everybody congratulates you and that's really wonderful. If you do something that is really transformational in medicine, then you'll have a lot of criticism. Everybody Hmm. will find fault with it. You know, if it's revolutionary, they would, you know, it will will be absolutely criticized. And so I think I focus more my attention on trying to do things that are that are revolutionary in a way. And so there'll be a a lot of criticism that comes your way. But what you want somebody to conclude at the end of what you've done and they look at it and they say, you know what, these are signs that you would associate with a revolution. And that's been my Hmm. kind of goal, I would suppose.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's a great I think a great way to sort of wrap up this conversation. So I'll have you hold on the line here, Dr. Simpson. I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me in on this conversation. And you know, for those, uh, I again I'll link to it in the in the show notes online. But if you want to go check out Avenger, just go to A V I N G E R dot com, Avenger.com. And otherwise just use Google, Avenger or, or Dr. John Simpson. You'll you'll be sure to find his current work. Uh, thanks again for your willingness to have a discussion today, Doctor Simpson. I'll have you hold on the line, but just wanted to my express my thanks again. Thank you. Thanks again, ladies and gents, for listening. This episode has been brought to you from the WCG studios here in Minneapolis. And don't forget to grab your Panoptic Stacking Blueprint by visiting reachfiredigital.com forward slash Medsider. Again, that's reachfiredigital.com forward slash Medsider. Okay, bye for now.